This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit candowealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by James Asaif, Fraser Nelson and Kate Andrews. Today, the Bank of England has raised rates to 3%. This is their biggest interest rate hike in decades. What's more, they've warned of a two-year recession. Kate, how much of this can be pinned on the not-so-many budget and how much of this is uh, global factors? That's a really good question. I think what happened today is more about global factors than it is the mini budget. Right after the mini budget, as we saw that market chaos and investors started freaking out, the market expectation was for interest rates to rise in in a one-off well over one percentage point. People were expecting something close to 1.25 percentage points. That was a result of the mini budget. Obviously what you saw today and the consensus, because it changed over the following weeks when the mini budget was rolled back and Rishi Sunak came in as prime minister, was for a 0.5 percentage point increase and that's what we got. And this mirrors what the Federal Reserve did yesterday and has done um, four times in a row. This suggests that the Bank of England is finally catching up to what the Federal Reserve is doing and and mirrors, I think, a, a global situation. That doesn't mean that the mini budget is long and forgotten. Obviously, what's going to happen on the 17th of November in that autumn statement, what Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt have to do um, will in large part be a result of the backlash from that mini budget, trying to prove to the financial markets that they've got fiscal responsibility at the forefront of their minds. But I think this interest rate hike was more or less a given. Maybe you could argue it would have been slightly smaller had the mini budget not happened, but something around this 0.75 figure was going to be coming. Now, the Bank of England, Fraser, has forecast a very challenging two-year recession to come. What was your reaction on hearing that? It was about the length that struck me. It's going to be a shallow recession. The word recession makes us think of lots of people unemployed, etc. But this is going to be something else. This is going to be something which basically no growth or, or generally minus growth, but something that will last until the middle of 2024. Now, this is really quite depressing. It shows that the price we're paying for the the big lockdown is even bigger than I'd thought. I mean, we had the biggest lockdown in Europe. By no coincidence, our recovery is the worst in Europe. We've knocked a massive hole out of our labour force. There are something like a million fewer workers in the economy than we once thought there would be. And so many of them just didn't come back after furlough. All of these things are, are adding up now to give us an extended period of misery. In other words, Rishi Sunak may never, as Prime Minister, preside over a period of economic growth. Every month when the GDP figures come out, they're going to be negative. That's going to be a pretty depressing drumbeat for the rest of his premiership. Now, he might win the next election, but right now the betting market suggests that he won't. So this is now going to be our new normal. It's going to be a per- not, well, not quite a permanent recession because it will end, but it will feel quite close to one. And James, what does this all mean when it comes to the autumn statement? Ultimately, we know that Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt are trying to prepare the country for tax rises and spending cuts. There's also expectation the windfall tax will be strengthened further. Is this all going to add to the problems when it comes to driving economic growth? I think it illustrates the problem that you are in, in this kind of post-mini-budget environment, because normally in a situation where monetary policy was being tightened, 
a recession was being predicted, you would expect fiscal policy to be loosened, classic kind of Keynesian pump priming to try and avoid a recession. That is obviously very difficult, if not impossible, to do now because there is such an imperative to show markets that you have a kind of credible plan to get debt falling in the medium term. So I think really the challenge on November 17th for Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt is to find a way to do this fiscal consolidation, which has, which is least harmful to the prospects for growth. And so I think the question of how you do that and what you choose to prioritise to try and avoid that is, I think, one of the big challenges. I think the other really interesting question is what happens to the whole question of the energy support package energy prices and where do they come, which obviously relates to your, your point about the, the windfall tax, KB. And so I think this is, I think how to, how to balance these things out in the, in the mini budget has just become even more complicated. Kate, it feels as though the government is moving towards strengthening the windfall tax, something you've written about on Coffee House. And it also feels as though Tory MPs, but famous last words here, are ultimately having to prepare themselves to support some things they wouldn't usually support. But do you think the government, do you think it would be a mistake for Rishi Sunak to take this course? One of the really difficult things for Rishi Sunak when it comes to this windfall tax is that whilst he did bring the first one in, in um, spring of this year, he did so actually trying to promote more business investment. There was that huge incentive that you could basically, could avoid most of the windfall tax, over 90p of the windfall tax, if you were reinvesting that money back into your business, i.e. into jobs, into green technology, into, you know, more digital infrastructure and all the rest of it, because he wanted to boost productivity. And this actually brings us back to his Mace lecture, which he gave at the start of this year in February, which is probably the biggest indicator, biggest insight we've had into Rishi Sunak's mind for the economy in terms of what he believes, not what his former boss, Boris Johnson, believed that he was having to negotiate with. And he clearly thinks that in order to solve the growth problem and the productivity problem, we need more business investment. Now, I'm very opposed to windfall taxes because I think the principle alone that the state can come and grab your money anytime it wants, that it doesn't belong to you, it belongs to the state, is highly problematic. But if you are going to do windfall tax, the one that Rishi Sunak set up to prioritize investment is the better version. Now, if Rishi Sunak wants to keep those kinds of incentives, it's going to be really hard to argue that the windfall tax is actually going to bring in loads of money for the Treasury, because the idea, surely, is that it's going back into business. So if he has to crack down and basically bring in a kind of windfall tax or extend the current windfall tax, which is just about bringing in money to the Treasury... That is going to raise a lot of questions about our medium-term prospects for growth because it's very hard, I think, to see that businesses wouldn't at all change their investment plans and how they feel about the UK compared to other countries. But Sunak and Hunt might decide that it is, politically speaking, their best of a a bunch of really bad options with the tax burden already at a seven-year high and, you know, having to find spending cuts in such a short period of time is a really painful way to do it. So they may well go for it, but... All of these factors, as James points out, you, you wouldn't ideally start from this position, but all of these factors are what people have. All these factors are, are why people think we are in for quite a long recession. And you can see the Bank of England was very defensive in a statement today. I mean, really defensive about why it was hiking rates going into a recession. And it was clear that they're worried that inflation is going to get baked in. That would cause even more problems down the line. But yeah, this is these are all really painful factors. And um, it's going to be really hard. Well, we're not going to get out of them without experiencing more pain in the short term. Fraser, yesterday in the podcast, we spoke about broken promises from politicians. But today we've had the news that Rishi Sunak plans to actually do something he talked about during the leadership campaign. 
relation to the online Hamsborough? Yeah, this is actually quite exciting for me anyway. I've spent a good chunk of the last sort of 12 to 18 months um, writing about the online harms bill and about the legal but harmful test it would introduce. Now, this was so chilling because it would introduce, indeed legally mandate, censorship. Right now, if I were to, for example, incite terrorism or something like that, that would be against the law. I would quite rightly be arrested. But, right, but under the, in this country, if it's not legal, then you can say it. Now, the government wanted, with the, with the online harms bill, or safety bill, as it was euphemistically called, to introduce a new category of things that were legal to say, but nonetheless deemed harmful. A very loose phrase. Nadine Doris even said that Jimmy Carr's jokes could be regarded as harmful. So it would have given social media companies the duty to basically censor anything they thought might come close to an arbitrary line drawn by a politician. Now, we already know, well, as editor already know, how many of our articles are shadow banned or not promoted because a Twitter bot might regard something as coming a bit close to the bone. We've seen Navarra Media's um, YouTube site taken down. We've seen Facebook take down the Morning Star page. We've seen all forms of censorship of political debate, all of which was about to be made a lot worse by an online safety bill, and no politicians seemed to care about it, with a handful of exceptions. Rishi Sunak was one of those exceptions. During the leadership campaign, he said he disagreed with the principle and he would take it away if, if he was prime minister. Liz Truss never gave such an undertaking. She was saying that she likes freedom in general, but she never promised to do anything about it. We now hear this morning that there's going to be a new online safety bill coming out and it's going to have removed from it the illegal but harmful clause. Now, if that's true, then Sunak will have been as good as his word taking out the whole agenda. And this pretty big threat to free speech will have been neutralised. Now, I will believe it when I see it because the devil is always in the detail with these things. But right now, if you, th- if you start by giving a new prime minister the benefit of a doubt, as I'm inclined to... I've got my criticisms of Rishi Sunak, but I would not say he's a dishonest politician. If he is saying this is what he's going to do, then I'm prepared to believe it. And it would be quite significant as well, because we would have come very, very close. Had it not been with his leadership election, if Boris Johnson was still number 10, this would be pushed through right now by Nadine Doris. And podcasts like this might not be given anything like the audience, because it would be scanned by some bot and deems our conversation politically sensitive, and therefore not to be promoted. So the the power of these algorithms is so huge now. If you control the news algorithms, you control who sees what on Facebook, who gets recommended what on YouTube, you've got more power than a a Hearst, a Beaverbrook, a Murdoch. The algorithms rule our lives now in a way we haven't quite caught up with. At some point, we're going to have to work out how you put these under democratic scrutiny or control. But for now, the threat to free speech has been averted. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening.